Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Talking Twilight Zone. care for the 20th century. I do not. I will now tell you as succinctly as possible how I classify the times. We live in a cesspool, a septic tank, a gigantic sewage complex in which runs the dregs, the filth, the misery-laden slop of the race of men. Maybe he just don't hold with President Garfield. Maybe he's a Democrat. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean?
could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Is to save every day Till eternity passes away Just to spend them with you Can't work because I know too many things I know I know about too many tomorrows Tomorrows? Your history, Abby. You and this town and the people in it. Everything about it, your history. And I can't change you. I can't even touch you. Discussions of television's greatest blending of science, superstition, imagination, and you're invited along. We'll be talking Twilight Zone. Yes, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Talking Twilight Zone. My name is Lynn, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Bobby and Robert. Hi, guys. Howdy. And unfortunately, unfortunately, Dave couldn't be with us today, but uh, if he can't stop in later, I'm hoping maybe he left a little something uh, in Robert's yeah, he's time, email. He's time traveling back to the um, prehistoric era, so he'll be <laughs> back on next show. Oh, he's going to be in Odyssey on Flight 33, right? <laughs> and Golden Agers, yeah. Yeah, but uh, if not, then we'll look forward to seeing him on the next show. And, of course, I want to welcome guest number four. Oh, guest number four left. Oh, I hope he'll be back. And Lou. Hello, Lou. Hi, Lou. Always glad to see Lou here. So, today, it's actually a pretty nice day here today. You know, we've got a little sunshine. We've had some sunshine for the past few days. Um, and you should have kicked it over here. We had our sunshine yesterday. It's been dark and gloomy. <laughs> Just perfect for today's episode. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're it's a grumpy get scientist. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're supposed to get rain later this week, but it's been pretty nice lately. My cat's been enjoying it, so I've been looking out the Good window a lot. Back. Yeah, Sebastian's been enjoying it. Yeah, Rick's not here either. With with, I, I can't find out how Daphne's doing, but uh, yeah, every, everything's going well. Weather's good, and uh, today and we. Ruby? We're I'm feeling groovy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me do that Brady Bunch. It's a sunshine day. <laughs> and uh, We're today, family, which is worse? There's a good question. <laughs> Parker's family or Brady Bunch? Brady Bunch. Uh, mm. Yeah, Brady Bunch. Uh, certain episodes, yeah, Brady Bunch. <laughs> but, Especially when uh, Peter changes his voice. Oh, God, yeah, when they were singing, I know. <laughs> Good old puberty. <laughs> yeah. And 
anyway, today we're talking about uh, an episode from season four called No Time Like the Past. And Robert, please grace us with a wonderful opening clip. And now, Mr. Serling. Exit one Paul Driscoll, a creature of the 20th century. He puts to a test a complicated theorem of space-time continuum. But he goes a step further, or tries to. Shortly, he will seek out three moments of the past in a desperate attempt to alter the present, one of the odd and fanciful functions in a shadowland known as the Twilight Zone. I just love that music. Oh, suspenseful, intense music. <laughs> well... Yes, this is called No Time Like the Past, star Dana Andrews. And uh, basically, we have a gentleman here named Paul Triscoll, and he's very cynical over the direction that the 20th century is going. So he solicits the help of his colleague, Harvey, and uh, he uses a time machine with the very noble intention of going back in time and trying to alter past events so that he can minimize the loss of human life, I suppose, involving the First and Second World Wars. So he first travels to Hiroshima in August of 1945, or back to August of 1945, and he attempts to warn a Hiroshima uh, police captain about the atomic bomb and tries to convince him to evacuate the city. And, of course, as you can expect, his warnings are dismissed, and he's unable to change that part of history. So then he travels to a Berlin hotel, and he's in the hotel room with the, all, the intention, all the intention of assassinating Adolf Hitler. And this is August 1939. And immediately before the outbreak of World War II in September of 1939. But, of course, his plans are interrupted when a hotel housekeeper knocks on the door. And then later two uh, SS guards uh, come, to, uh, come to his room. And uh, he ends up leaving before he assassinates Hitler. Oh, darn it. And then on his third journey to the past, Paul tries to change the course of the Lusitania to avoid the ship being torpedoed by the World War I German U-boat. But well, he's if he didn't land on the Titanic, it would have been worse. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> <laughs> turn away from that iceberg. Get uh, watch it. Turn left. Turn left. <laughs> But he's unable to do do that with the Lusitania because the ship's captain questions his believability. So Paul accepts the hypothesis here that the past can't be changed. And he then uses the time machine to journey to the town of Homeville, Indiana, back to 1881. I always want to see what it was like, Marty, to go back into the West. Complicated life, you know. I mean, 1881. You know, it's like Willoughby. You know, Willoughby. What, what more can you ask? You know, this really quiet life of horse and buggies, and you know, this this is just great. And Willoughby, then, stop at Willoughby. Willoughby, Willoughby. Homeville, stop at Homeville. <laughs> and then he realizes, oh my goodness, he realizes that President Garfield is going to get shot the next day. Oh. Damn, this guy just can't catch a break. So he allows. Yeah, I guess he wasn't Republican. I guess he was. He wasn't. <laughs> and he allows the assassination to happen. It just, it just ends up happening because he just decides he knows he can't change time. So he allows the assassination to happen, 
And while he's in 1881, he stays at this boarding house in town. He meets Abigail Sloan, lovely Abigail Sloan, a fellow resident teacher at the schoolhouse. And uh, at one of the boarding house's dinners, he gets into an argument with another boarder over war and imperialism and all kinds of political things. And then after reading in a history book that the schoolhouse will burn down because of a kerosene lantern that is thrown off of a runaway wagon, he spots the wagon and attempts to prevent this from occurring. But instead, oh my gosh, he causes the fire he intended to prevent. So afterwards, Paul tells Abigail that the past is sacred, and he returns to his own time, having learned not to tamper with the past. Oh, well, there he was trying to recreate Chicago with the horse. uh, Yes, yes. Mrs. uh, What's her name's fire? uh, No, uh, the the cow. Mm -hmm. Mrs. What's her name's cow? Yeah. What was that cow's, What was that woman's name? Mrs. O'Leary's cow. O'Leary, thank yeah. you, Bobby. Mrs. O'Leary's cow. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was Rod, uh, Rod Serling's moral in the story. Basically, be satisfied what you have in the present because you can't change the past. And if you're not satisfied, oh well, you still can't change the past. So tough crap. So <laughs> that's the way it goes. And and Rod likes poetry too. Looking for us. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. (laughs) Well, you know, face it, the guy was very disgruntled, you know. And he had a right to be. I mean, he had a lot of tragic events that occurred in the world, you know. But he should have been intelligent enough to know that he couldn't possibly alter the course of human events. You know, these things have already taken place. He builds a time machine, you know, which proves he has a brain. You know, he's able to build this machine. But he seemed to be lacking, uh, he was lacking common sense. It was reminiscent of shows like Quantum Leap and the Time Tunnel. But uh, as we saw in those series, the past will always remain the same. Now, I was impressed with the time machine, though. It's one of the best props the Twilight Zone ever had. But, of course, if Driscoll was so worried about a nuclear war, why didn't he invent something to destroy nuclear bombs instead of a time machine? But I well, they must have been close to a shipyard, because <laughs> that looks like a submarine. <laughs> yeah. It did, it did, it did. <laughs> it, yeah, it did look like a submarine. But, I don't know, I, I guess a time a machine to, you know, destroy bombs, that's beyond his expertise, whatever that was. They never really told you what kind of an engineer or whatever he was. <clears throat> but he seemed to have a brain. But he definitely learned that he couldn't tamper with history. And he realized that he couldn't stand by and watch tragic events unfold either. Not not right right before him. I mean, he knew about them. He was helpless to, helpless to stop them. And he found this out when he made the decision to live that simpler life in the 1800s. He knew too much to be happy there either. Uh, what I didn't understand was why he was keeping his secret from Abigail. I mean, she seemed to be the only one who would have believed him. I mean, she she was very kind. She seemed to really care about him. But, you know, this was another one of those whirlwind romances that we've been seeing a lot of recently in the Twilight Zone. Looks as though he was only in the boarding house, what, for about a day or two? Before he's locking lips with her outside, you know? I mean, it, it just it seems that the fire was destined to happen with or without him, just like every other historic event he tried to prevent. So, you know, he didn't get he, he didn't give much notice to the folks he was warning with those other events. I mean, when he went back to Hiroshima and when he back went to Berlin, well, Berlin we don't we don't count, but Hiroshima and Lucid, he didn't give them much warning. I mean, why didn't he go back in time a week or even a month before the events he was trying to change? He still would have been able to 
he still or still wouldn't have been able to present the tragedies, but at least he would have had more time to prepare to fail or at least to warn the people. No, I, I mean, I'm just being kind of sarcastic here, but expecting a whole city to be evacuated in a few <laughs> minutes, you know, it's not a bit ludicrous. I mean, yes, okay, you know, just in, in 10 minutes now, get everybody out of here. I mean, come well, on. Well, in defense of the Hiroshima thing, they, he did say that he was in custody for six hours, but still, six hours is still You can't evacuate a city in six hours either, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it is kind of ridiculous. I, I kind of assumed that he had, he didn't, he couldn't spend that much time. I guess he felt the more time he spent in the past, he had a greater chance of changing too many things. I don't know. That could be. You're right. Too. They never explain it. They never explain it. Well, as we saw, he could have he could have shot Hitler if his rifle hadn't jammed. But these things kept happening because the events couldn't be changed. So somehow uh, history, yeah, predestined. So somehow destiny yeah. was keeping him from changing anything. Natural course of time wouldn't allow this alteration. Well, you know, of, of history. <laughs> I actually think he was just kind of like the worst time traveler to change history, actually. <laughs> 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 I, you know, you. But the part that got me the most and the part that I chuckled with was he's ready to, he's aiming his his rifle at Hitler. The knock comes at the door. Uh, who is it? Uh, the maid, I come to clean up your room. Uh, not now. Why did you shoot her? Fresh she towels shot and her. soap. Oh, okay, come in. <laughs> That's just, you know, I was like, oh, she has fresh towels and stuff. Well, that's all different. Let me open the door. Just give me time to hide my rifle. Exactly. Just, she, you know, I mean, the only thing I could assume is that he didn't want to get caught. Well, well he should have shot Hitler and then shot Hitler. His yeah, gun probably would have jammed anyway. He tried to shoot yeah, her. Yeah, would have jammed anyway, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, he shot her first, what difference would have made? You know, he's going back. He's going to go back to the press. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And these, these whirlwind romance. Now, if it was an American rifle, it would have been desperate. <laughs> no, no, he, he constantly, right. he constantly right. does those mistakes, even with the end. I mean, he could have just easily just gotten rid of a lamp and said, no, you got to unhitch your horses. We have to do the most complex tasks to avoid the simplest, you know. Exactly. And the, and these so World War the, romances kill me. I mean, you know, <laughs> people that meet somebody and two days later they're going to get married, they're in love. You know, come on. You know, I mean, the same thing happened in West Side Story. You know, uh, the guy goes and he sees Maria. Tony goes and meets Maria in a in a club. He sees her from across the room. He falls madly in love, and they're ready to run away together <clears throat> in the course of one evening. You know what? Got me a break. Love at first sight. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know what? Driscoll probably would have enjoyed his life in Homeville. I think he would have enjoyed being back in 1801, but he wasn't supposed to be there. And now my next question is, how did he get back to the 20th century if his stay in Homeville was supposed to be permanent? That's my, my question exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with this whole episode is all the little plot holes and stuff like that. I mean, he could have mm-hmm. easily convinced any of those people just by disappearing in front of them. Well, you know, if you don't believe me, watch this trick. Poof. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but there no, you, you go. <laughs> I got the impression that no one could be around for him to disappear, but I don't know. That also doesn't make sense. Yeah, Maybe he had a, a professional rock holder with him, and he banged yeah. him on the head. <laughs> He's ready to travel. There are a lot of unanswered <laughs> questions in this episode. Uh, and, and Homeville did look a lot like Art Williams' Willoughby. But poor Gart, he had to die to get there. Uh, sadly, he didn't have a, a cool time machine, time machine like Driscoll's. Uh, it's a great machine because it even changes its clothes for him. Did you notice that? <laughs> even, even, even gets these these uh, wardrobe changes. I thought Poor that father, one... the replicator from Star Trek. Yeah, 
That's why it was. Made him perfectly at home. I thought one of the most chilling scenes, though, in this episode came when the Japanese captain looked at the photo of his wife and child in the frame as the sound of the bomber plane could be heard overhead. Mm-hmm. And then the explosion occurs, hurls him across the room, and then we see, then see the empty frame on top of the wreckage. Wow. That now that was an intense scene. I did I did think that was kind of chilling. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I laughed as soon as the explosion hit because I said, "Wow, that's how much time he gave him." That's when I realized how bad a yeah a time traveler this guy was. He, you know, I thought there was going to be a, you know at least it would have been better if he had gone home and seen his family. We'd known some time had passed. Yeah, but it was within like, seconds. Yeah, it was like is this. Kind of ridiculous, exactly. And I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but there was a a little goof in editing, and this comes from watching the episodes so many times as I do. But um, uh, it was during the bar scene when Driscoll first arrives in Homeville. He goes into the bar and he orders a beer, and then he walks away from the bar towards one of the tables. And when he walks away, his beer is still sitting on the bar as he walks away. But when the scene cuts to him next to the table, he's holding his beer. <laughs> you know, not the, the continuity guy was was yeah. asleep that day. You know, because uh, you know, I that's the kind of thing, Lou. We were talking about this earlier. You know, I people that watch these. I, I've watched it so many times. I've watched these episodes. That after a while, you don't really pay attention to the story. You start looking for little gaps. You start <laughs> looking for little things like that, and that's something that I noticed. And you know, and and you watch them enough times, you catch these little things. But I, you know, I thought Dana Andrews did a good job in this role, and his rant at the dinner table was awesome. I I loved his rant. But um, and and this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. And Patricia Breslin, she was good as as Abigail, you know, very sensitive school teacher. And she was also in William Shatner in uh, Nick of Time from, uh, I think that was season two. She's I, I forget now. But, uh, yes, yeah, season two. It was season two. Um, but, you know, the acting by the whole cast was great. The story was enjoyable to a point. A lot of things didn't make sense. I don't remember what, I think I gave it a three. I might have been a little generous there, but I think I did give it a three. But, uh, you know, it just it had a lot of unanswered questions. Oh, but I'm going to turn that over to you, Robert, now. <clears throat> Let's hear your take. I know. I had a lot of questions like you did about this episode. I mean, well, I called this episode the fog machine of time. So. <laughs> well, I think the, most, the biggest question was, you know, if he was supposed to be in Homeville permanently, he should never have been able to get back to the 20th century. So that was, to me, was the biggest question. That's why I shouldn't have given the three, but... Well, the whole thing, too, and the talk is um, supposedly if you travel in time, you can only travel forward, not in the past, because if you travel back to the past, then you cause a paradox. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. there's other shows that they do go in the past. You know, Quantum Leap is a good one with Sam, but that's where Sam, when he leaps, he has to leap into somebody else. And then he can't do anything major, can only affect that person's life and change that person. So um, time travel with that series was very limited on what they do. And through each leap, um, he had more and more memory loss. So that's why you had to have Al there to kind of fill in the missing pieces to, I would say, Swiss cheese brain, so to say. But I like Dan Andrews. I mean, he's a great actor. I remember Night of the Demons, Crash of the World. 
Battle of the Bulge and so on. Yeah, so, I mean, it's nice to get a, a recognizable name in this episode. And as I've said in past episodes, I do, you know, enjoy time travel. But like you, Lynn, this one provides more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. One of my questions I had is, why didn't Paul show the police captain Hiroshima something like a history book, driver's license, from his era, a watch or something that was not from that time? something that wasn't made in that era to convince him. But but see, my question with that now, would that be like that movie Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve? If he pulled out something from the present time, would he be blown right back in? Yeah, that's that's something because everything had to be authentic. Yeah, that's why his clothes changed and everything. (laughs) Right, that's why his clothes changed. That that one um, mistake he made brought him back. And was he really time traveling physically or was it in his mind was True. the thing about that movie as, as well? You know, did he put himself into a catatonic state? We're talking about somewhere in time where yeah. uh, he travels um, back into the past and meets Jane Seymour and falls in love with her and all that. Yeah. And he takes that penny from 1973 out. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he looks at that 1973 penny, he's he just he's gone. You just see him flying back to the, you know. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, I enjoy that movie, too. And, you know, I brought that question up about the Captain Lusitania, and he done the same thing. And secondly, not only did the gun jam with the Adolf Hitler portion there, but why did he take so much time to go through it? Yeah. I mean, how many times can you check your sights and, and do all that stuff before you actually yeah. pull the trigger and kill him? Yeah, I mean, know? it was like he took forever. It was, I mean, Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, <laughs> It's like, boom, 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 you know, and this guy's like, wait, wait a minute, let me just double check one more time, make sure, I, I just want to make sure my hair looks good. <laughs> he was checking every little detail, you know? Yeah, you know, it would have been kind of nice if he had a picture, kind of, you know, a la Back to the Future, where, you know, Marty had a picture of him and his brother and sister showing what was happening while he was there in the past. They were disappearing, the, yeah. Yeah. They were alternating. That would have been kind of interesting for this one. And then we get the, another question. Uh, when Paul realizes he can't change the past, he decides to live in it. Doc Brown wanting the, the 1800 simpler times in life and stuff. And then we get the all uh, back there will be situation. But here again, he's nothing with the assassination of Garfield. He just kind of blows it off and says, oh, well, you know, I can't save President Garfield, whatever he says under his breath as he leaves. But, you know, instead of being a bystander in the past, he actually creates a school event trying to stop. And I don't know if I misunderstood this, but now supposedly 12 children was killed. But at the end, did he say four were killed? Only, I think true. only four, yeah. Then he saved eight kids from dying. Or did I hear that incorrectly? No, I, I, I think, yeah, I think only four. But didn't it say in the book it said twelve? So he well, saved eight no, children. No, but no, yeah, now I'm a little confused too because I can't remember. I'm not sure. Did they say twelve children were injured, or did they say twelve children were killed? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, now I don't I have remember to go back either. And watch that, yeah. Yeah. Why wasn't that. he arrested? For the <laughs> oh, okay, we'll just let you go. Go back to your time and, you know, oh, well, they died. Yeah, well, that was a good thing. If he was going to be arrested, he just goes back, you know. Oh, well. And then, like you, Lynn, that question, why? how did he get back to the, the, the past? I mean, did he bump his head on something and boom, you know, he's where he was? Or? 
Yeah, know? he was supposed to be there for good. That was where he was supposed to live out his life. Right, and we see that he travels in mystic fog. But is there a certain yeah. word he uses or some kind of device that he presses to go back? Well, why didn't they use the device from um, um, that one where, you know, they made people or things disappear, that one we reviewed a few episodes ago, the one that had oh, uh, James uh, Doohan in it? Yeah, yeah. Crashes um, uh, his car into a solid wall of nothingness. Yeah, let me think. That episode. That was Valley of the Shadow. Yeah, you I mean they could they could have used that device from that for this to make it at least a little more reasonable that okay he presses this device and he can go back or whatever. Yeah, that would have worked. And why did he leave Abigail hanging out to dry like that? <laughs> why did he yeah, start a romance left, with her only to go back home. to the present? Yeah. Yeah, she fell in love with him in two days, of course. But you know, she fell in love with him, and then she's like left in the in the dust. She'll probably she probably killed herself. Well, have, have a good life. Goodbye. You know, I was expecting him to say something about Abigail, like he knew something about her history that he couldn't involve himself with, but they never went into that either. Yeah. Well, remember Back to the Future. Um, supposedly, someone was supposed to die. Remember, saved in the um, third episode. Oh, you know what? The third episode of Back to the Future is the only one I didn't see. I saw one and two. I didn't see the third one. Oh, you're talking about uh, the love interest of Christopher. The school character. teacher, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? I've... Well, you know, they think she died. What happened was that she went into the future, but since the train still went over the edge, and supposedly she was on the train. Yeah, she Eastwood Levine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to That's right, because, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, um, they're fun movies. Going to go, like, City on the Edge of Forever, where we find about Edith Keeler, and, like, he falls in love with her, but he can't, because if he does, he'll change history. But, like I said, they never went that route. They just really kind of shortchanged everything in this episode. Mm. Going with this, I kind of give it a two out of five. I was very low on it, and a lot of it was just the questions. Yeah, I agree. Questions to, and you have the natural filler for it being a season four episodes. But um, on my way out here before we go to Bobby, a blast from the past. Such stories as H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea have challenged mankind. So today, man is successfully probing deep into the mysteries of the universe. Can he penetrate the greatest mystery of all, time itself? of George Pal and the fabulous production know-how of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer to catapult you through time into a world that is yet to be. Why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension? You, you see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Inventor Rod Taylor's breakthrough into the realm of the fourth dimension is defied by his friend Alan Young. If that machine can do what you say it can, Destroy it, George, before it destroys you. Every moment is a year, hurtling through the atomic wars of the future on an incredible excursion into the unknown. What are the people like? Ah, the shape of things to come. It's lovely Yvette Mimieu. And what happens when boy meets girl thousands of years hence? How do they wear their hair? 
Who? The women of your time. Up like that? Show me. Is this the human race of the future? Or is this the Morlocks, fiendish creatures who live in a weird underground world? And the Eloi, the tranquil sunshine people, who the Morlocks dominate and maintain like cattle, luring them below with the hypnotic wail of the sirens to feed upon them in cannibalistic horror. Classic time machine favorite. Little Rod himself, Rod Taylor. Yep. Okay, over to you, Bobby. Oh, my good Lord. What in the hell is all this goddamn nitpicking on this show today? I mean, <laughs> really? It is, anyway. science fi- it is science fiction, after all. And all like this is about why didn't they answer this, and why this, and why that, why did you go here, why did you go there? I mean, it's science fiction. And science fiction, you accept whatever sets in front of you. I mean, if you're going to nitpick like that, then you can't watch anything because... The idea of aliens invading the Earth and everything else is ridiculous. So I'm a little shocked at all this uh, taking this apart piece by piece. I find that kind of ridiculous. I mean, if you want to go down that route, then you could go to the classic Twilight Zone episodes and do the same thing. What was Inger Stevens doing driving across the country by herself in uh, The Hitchhiker? And why did the people on Maple Street decide to... uh, go after each other instead of calling the police and finding out what was going on. So, you know, there are holes everywhere. So I don't think it's really fair to take this episode on and just, you know, pull it apart like that. So I'm a, a little put off by that. Anyway, most of the things I was going to say have already been said by everybody, but uh, I'll do my best. Uh, I'll start out by saying that miracles do happen. Two seasons, four episodes in a row that I actually enjoyed. Who would have imagined that such a thing could happen? I do really enjoy this episode, and after watching it again earlier today, I can honestly say that my enthusiasm for it has not really diminished. Of course, I have to admit that I am a sucker for time travel stories, and that began when I read my very first one back in the early part of the last century when I was a child, and I was fascinated by The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, which has already been mentioned extensively, and that was written in 1895. Since then, of course, there have been countless adaptations of the story over the years, both in feature films, TV series, comic books, on and on and on. And uh, has also been mentioned, uh, as Robert just uh, played a clip from about it, was the 1960 feature film with Rod Taylor. Actually, uh, one of my all-time favorite movies. If I had to pick one that is about time travel, I would use that. It's very, uh, I don't own it personally. It's very rarely on TV, but... Uh, it is worth watching. I love um, it too, especially the mannequin scene is classic in that. Oh yeah, when he's when he's looking at all the mannequins changing, <laughs> that's pretty <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> and uh, time tunnel was mentioned. Time tunnel only ran one season, and uh, there's some interesting stuff at the Internet Movie Database about the time tunnel, and that is that it uh, it had mixed reviews from critics when it came on. And it had pretty mediocre ratings. Uh, it was on Friday nights, which doesn't help any. Uh, but uh, they actually, ABC was going to renew the series. However, they went to Irwin Allen, who created the series, and told him that his budget was too high and that unless he agreed to scale back the budget, 
that they would cancel the series. Was and it on they, CBS? No, it was on ABC. Oh, okay, because that's CBS and they, to do that. And he told, he told them basically to stick it. He said, if I have to uh, cut back on the budget, I'll cancel the series, which he did. So All right, knowing, what we know about CBS yeah. And what, knowing what we know about CBS and what they did to Rod Serling, we're very lucky that he didn't do the same thing, or there might not be much to talk about. Twilight Zone might have ended after one or two seasons if he had simply said, if you're going to make give me no money, then I'm not going to make anything. So that was kind of a close call. Anyway, uh, let's face it, the concept of time travel is very appealing. I mean, who would want, not want to travel to the future to see how amazing the world will be, since you surely won't live nearly long enough to, to see it. But I think most of all, who would not want to go back in time to your own life uh, to correct all of the mistakes and screw-ups that made trouble for you then and still do to this very day. I know that would sure as hell keep me busy. Um, the problem is, as this character, along with all the other ones who came before him and after him, uh, found out, you really can't change a thing. And indeed, you just might make things worse by injecting yourself into a scenario you really don't belong in, as we found out here. Um, naturally, for dramatic purposes, every time someone in fiction can travel back in time, they end up not in their own past, but in some terrible moment before disaster strikes somewhere in the world. Any attempt to avoid it always ends in failure. As I expressed in my review of this episode at our Twilight Zone group, I believe there is an obvious reason for this, aside from the fact that nobody will believe you anyway, and that is because you simply can't alter one moment in time or one incident without changing all that comes after it. That's what history is all about. Everything that's happened before leads us up to now, and everything that happens now will lead people who haven't been born yet in the future. So, Bobby, uh, you believe in a fixed point in time then, correct? Well, I think you could say that, yeah. Hmm. In in the disasters in this episode that Driscoll tries to prevent, uh, uh, many people die, like in Hiroshima. Take this out, and they will live. Those people will live and perhaps even change the world, maybe for good, but possibly for the bad. It's a big risk. There are people who don't live out their lives. Who knows what they might have done? They might have changed the world in some way. They might have come up with a cure for a terrible disease. You never know. I mean, so many bad things have happened in the half century since this episode was filmed in the early 60s. You can only speculate on how many other disasters Drixel might have tried to prevent if he could do it in a story that was written today. As we uh, rapidly approach the 50th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination in just a few weeks, could he kill Lee Harvey Oswald in time before he killed JFK? Could he go back now and warn people at airports to watch out for terrorists who are going to destroy the World Trade Center and kill thousands? Probably not. Nobody would believe you. And even if you could do it, and you could use, like Robert mentioned, why didn't he take this or that with him to show that it actually happened? Even if you use today's technology to show videotape of what actually happened, I do believe people would just think you were good at special effects. They wouldn't believe it if they were looking at it anyway. To say nothing of the suspicion you would cast upon yourself, after all. How do you know that this terrible thing is going to happen? How do you know that the World Trade Center is going to be destroyed unless you're behind it or you're part of it and you simply got cold feet at the end and now decided not to go through with it. That's uh, We're looking for terrorists under every rock now. And if you go to the future or you go back that way and say, look, uh, this is terrible things going to happen, you've got to uh, be more careful, uh, you're putting yourself in jeopardy. Besides, there is never any real time to change anything, uh, as Lynn already mentioned. Uh, he goes back to Hiroshima, but what for? The bomb goes off less than 10 <laughs> minutes after he gets there. 
So even if anybody believes them, there's no time to evacuate anyone. It really is hopeless. But you know what else? The fact that the person goes back in time, right? Like this guy goes back in time. Nobody else but him went back in time. So what about the other people who are still living in, like he went back from 1963 to 1930-something, but he's the only one who went back. There are still people, the whole rest of the world is still living in 1963. So that is the main reason why I don't think anything can be changed because what has already happened has happened and those people are still are now living their well, lives. that's just a variation of what I just said and that is the fact that you can't change an incident. You can't change one thing because everything is interconnected. Right. It has already happened and, you know, I mean, it's, we are where we are today in 2013 simply because we're living in this world and all these other things have already happened. So I think it's ridiculous to think you can change one thing. Well, the way they get around that in these shows and movies is alternate timelines is how they use that. Back to the Future was good about that. And everybody else seems to follow suit. As I said, I do like this episode. Actually, uh, one that I think needed to be an hour long. There's really no filler or endless unnecessary dialogue that drags things out forever. And I was never bored, and even the love story angle near the end seemed to add to it, certainly didn't detract from it. Unlike Robert, I was never a big fan of Dana Andrews, but I do like him here. Does a very good job without going over the top. No, actually, even, Robert Robert does like Dana Andrews. I said that. Yeah, I said, he's good. I, good actor. I, I said, unlike Robert, I was never a big fan of Dana Anyway, even the special effects, given the paltry Twilight Zone budget, are not all that bad like it is in some episodes. So it is possible, after all, to do an hour-long Twilight Zone episode and keep me awake. And there is one more later one that I also am very fond of. In my review, I gave this a 3 out of 5. But unlike Lynn, uh, to be honest, I might even have pushed it closer to 4. I really do like it that much. Um, with the three, uh, these three plus two all-time classics to come in Season 5, the Twilight Zone just might have a little life left in it after all. Uh, compared to the other stories in Season 4, and the fact that we've got to do the Bard yet, oh, please, God, forgive oh, me. Yeah, oh, I can't get, wait. When you get there, you're going to wish you were back here, let me tell you. Because nothing but George nothing Washington. Benjamin <laughs> <Nothing>. Franklin. <laughs> Pocahontas. Wait, no, I'm leaving. I'm leaving my. I'm leaving my rating at a three because I did think it was good. I was a little annoyed at some of the unanswered questions, but no, I'm leaving that at three because it was good story, and it didn't. You're right. It didn't have any. It didn't have much filler at all. It didn't have much filler, and it was interesting all the way through. Yeah, it needed to be an hour long, and that is a rare event in season four. But yeah, I just think couldn't that, do that in half hour. I just think you got to be careful in looking at something and saying there are quote unquote unanswered questions. And then maybe the reason I feel that way is because my mother was like that. She used to watch TV, and because I didn't have my own, I had to watch it with her. And no matter what she was watching, even if it was good and even if she liked it, she'd always end off it, uh, when it was over by saying, "That's ridiculous. How come this? And how come that? And how come we didn't do this? And how come we didn't do this? It's driving me crazy." <laughs> And I used to think to myself, why don't you just watch a story and stop picking it apart piece by piece? I mean, it's either good or it's not, or it's interesting or it's not. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of unanswered questions, and especially in this series. I mean, it's science fiction, so, you know, I'm not going to go crazy over that. Anyway, I, I liked it for once, and uh, I'll just look forward to the, to the next one I like, which is several weeks away yet. 
and try to live through the rest of the crap in this uh, season. <laughs> All right, Lynn, back to you. Okay, Lou, let's let's hear from you. <clears throat> okay, well, well, first in defense of nitpicking the episode, I think when it comes to especially time travel stories, there has to be some kind of internal consistency. One thing has to kind of follow the other. I mean, you know, they're talking about how uh, Driscoll couldn't change the past, but for me, those first three attempts were just, like, really inept attempts. I mean, you know, with the Hiroshima thing, I mean, he goes back in time, he goes back to Hiroshima in Japan, and he doesn't know Japanese, but somehow he thinks he's going to be able to convince people he can't even talk to. He gets lucky that he finally meets a, a Japanese person who speaks yeah. and translate. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but he's for a, me, did he deliberately go back to Hiroshima, or did he just happen to land there? No, he wanted to I thought it was deliberate. I thought he was picking no, points in time that he could change, yeah, change events to make. Because his problem was he was upset with the world. So he was thinking about moments in time that he could change to maybe make the world better, which is also kind of a yeah, he, crazy. Yeah, he plans the three trips. Hey, Lou, yeah. is it Hiroshima or Hiroshima? Is it Hiroshima, <laughs> Hiroshima or Hiroshima? I usually hear it pronounced as Hiroshima. And I've, I've heard it Hiroshima. Oh, well. Potato, potato, <laughs> tomato, tomato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole thing off. <laughs> but, you know, that's my point. Those first three attempts, they just, I mean, the Lusitania one might have worked a little bit better, but like the one with Hitler, I mean, he was interrupted by a lady who wanted to give him fresh towels and soaps, and he agreed. It's just, <laughs> I was laughing at that moment. It was like, first he, said, he tells the lady to go away, which, you know, of course, go or away. Shooter, shooter, then she says, and, and I had to replay it because I couldn't believe it. It was like, but I have fresh towels and soap. It was okay. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's just ridiculous. So, you know, admittedly, throughout this whole episode, when he goes back into the past, finally, to, like, live out the rest of his life, and the events start ratcheting up, I thought he was actually going to change time. I just thought he was just really bad about it. And even when he goes back, the guy warns him, be careful, don't change time. You do one little change, you're going to change everything. Don't step on that butterfly. Be careful. And admittedly, that's the uh, that's the uh, that's that's the part of the episode that I actually like. It's the the idea that it brings forth that if you could go back in time, and you're faced with this question. I mean, you brought up 9/11, and I thought that was kind of an interesting concept. If I had gone back and I come back like September 10th, 2001, what would I do, knowing what's going to happen the next day? Could I just sit idly by and let the disaster take place? Would I try to do something? And you're right, I would have to plan it carefully so that I'm not looked like a fraud or get in trouble for revealing what I know. And, you know, I saw that little bit of conflict in uh, Driscoll's character. Because, you know, he sees that Grant's going to die, but what can he do? Grant was being shot somewhere else on a, on a rail yard. He couldn't go from where he was over there. So he kind of lets that go. When something more local is about to happen, he realizes it. And he realizes that children are going to die. And he's faced with that quandary of, do I try to do something? Can I do something? And, you know, at that point, you know, I still was wondering whether or not he was going to change it. And, of course, that was another screw-up because, basically, you know, it was the lamp. He could have easily taken the lamp off the, or told the guy, turn off your lamp, you know. Yeah. Or take the lamp and throw it on the floor and break it. But, no, you you got to unhitch your horses. You have to do this complex task. No, I'm not going to do it simple. I'm going to do it as complex as possible. So, you know, it's just that, you know, I just thought the way, like I said, I thought he was did the worst. the hard way. Yeah, he was the, the worst way. time yeah. traveler possible. Uh-huh. But I did like the ideas that it brought. Up. I like the ideas of. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what I but I did like the questions that it brought up about you know what do you do if you're faced with this idea of an impending disaster that you know you know is going to happen how would you react do you not do anything because you're afraid it will change things further along uh, you know that those ideas were good I like the political nature of the episode I mean 
the opening speech that Disco gives is kind of a politically charged one, and then the one he gives at the dinner table. The dinner was table another was great. Interesting speech. I mean, yeah. It was really good. I mean, I think that's why what's her name? That's why Abigail fell in love with Driscoll. It's kind of like she found a like-minded person at a time yeah, where people probably didn't awesome. think like that. But you're right; that romance happened fast. But you know, this is Hollywood. This is the movies and TV. So of course, you have a, you know they're kindred spirits. They're, they're... Yeah, it has to happen. Fan story doesn't happen exactly. So yeah, but you know, like I said, it's just you know those. You know, they're just little. You're right. I am nitpicking to a certain degree. I could nitpick about the time machine being two stories high and. God forbid you should fall off the scaffolding or something. But uh, or we could time, you know, we could um, pick on a man that travels in a blue box in space and time too. So. <laughs> well, the only the only thing I have to say is I can see it. You know, when it lands in London, all the time makes sense. When it lands somewhere else, where what's a blue telephone box doing here in 2012? But you know, but uh, no, yeah, you're right. Uh, but like I said, those those little the time travel moments I didn't like. The ideas that it was presenting, I did like. I liked the acting. You say there was no filler. I think maybe that whole first sequence of the first three time travel jumps might have been filler for the character. You know, basically that was just a big setup to say that time is inviolate. We can't change it. So, you know, they showed those three first right. examples. But in some ways that is filler. They could have just started saying, like, well, we can't change time. So I'm going to go back to a place where it's nice and then... But you know, well, but it, you know, like, it, was, uh, it was an interesting look. You know, it was an that's interesting a pretty boring story. Well, it's a good setup, I think. But I just, I just don't like the way it was handled. I just, I wish it seemed like, like you know, it seemed like he sabotaged his attempts to change time rather than time was deliberately doing things. Like when the gun refuses to to load, that it makes sense. You know, if other things happen, someone got in the way of him being able to get a clear shot, something beyond his control. It just seemed to me that. The reason why he failed was mostly his fault rather than events outside of himself. And it would have, that would have probably sold it more to me that time is unchangeable. And, you know, nowadays with a lot of movies, they do try to make movies where, where people do change time. I was thinking about Source Code, and you guys were talking about not being able to change the past. And in that film, the character actually does manage to stop something that had already happened in the future. What movie? What movie is It's that? a movie called Source Code. It was Jake Gyllenhaal. It I involved him... Yeah, it's a recent film. It involved him. He was like he was supposed to be like a a, a war veteran who uh, they were using. They were placing his consciousness in a person who had died on the train, but he, they wanted him to find out where the bomb was and to get information about where a future bomb was being supposedly placed. They wanted him to identify the bomber so that they could find him before he could set off this other bomb. But he actually is able to uh, change events in the past so that the first explosion doesn't happen. It's actually kind of interesting. Moonstar, we have a we have a person just uh, logged in here. Moonstar, he said he saw that one. He saw that movie. Yeah. and I feel a little bit bad because I think I uh, I just I just spoiled the movie. <laughs> oh, but, that's you okay. Know, but yeah, but that's you know, but that's the idea that the you know, I mean uh, the new Star Trek movie deals with alternate universe, uh, alternate realities. I mean, the new Star Trek basically says that the past you know the past history of Star Trek never existed. It's starting an entirely entirely new mythos, which a lot of Star Trek fans are upset with. I'm not too upset with it, you know. I, I like the show. I like the ideas. If they just want to redo it again, something new. I'm fine with that. But you know, I mean, well, I like the idea that time can be changed and that maybe the history that we have is an incorrect history, you know. Wouldn't I mean, it be like, great if we could go back in time and change certain things that went wrong in our lives? You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, but then you get, but then you, but then what happens is that you don't you realize that the things you change are the things that actually helped you grow into be a better made person. Made you who you are, yeah. The, yeah. 
So you have like the. I mean, I don't know. Is there anyone else who's a Star Trek fan who saw the episode with uh, what was it called? It was called uh, Tapestry. I'm sure Robert did. Yeah, with Q, definitely. Yeah, that exactly. was a good one. Yeah. Robert regretted the fact he that he got got into that fight with the yeah. Nazis, and then what happened? He ended up just being a lowly lieutenant because he never faced death at that young age. Yeah, and he has to talk with um, Troy and Reichert about how he could change or move up in the ranks, and they said yeah. that he did chances, and that's what pretty much he yeah. played it safe, in other words, and that's what Q told him that he did play it safe. Well, Robert, you remember the uh, season two Twilight Zone episode back there, right? The one with the Russell Johnson from Gilligan's Island, professor mm-hmm. from Gilligan's Island, where he goes back to uh, back in time, not intentionally. He doesn't intentionally go back in time, but he goes back in time, and then uh, he goes back to when the night that Lincoln was supposed to be assassinated, and he tries to prevent that and couldn't. But he does everything in his power to do it, and he can't. That's he what I hear Hiroshima scene kind of reminded me of back there. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, know. John Wooth uh, apprehends him and... Uh, and Lincoln's going to uh, be shot. Yeah. you got to stop it. Exactly. And John Wilkes Booth apprehends uh, Russell Johnson's character and drugs him and uh, keeps him from from uh, saying anything and, and he ends up killing uh, killing Lincoln. Well, let me go into my mm-hmm. review real quick. Uh, so basically, I think I give it two and a half stars. I really enjoyed the premise. I just didn't like the execution of the the time travel elements. And I actually yeah. like, uh, and I like movies that actually, and this one where the past can't be changed, it becomes kind of almost pointless to go into the past. I mean, then, you know, I mean, especially like he said, we're faced with all the history that he knows. I mean, you guys are talking about time travel movies. I remember another movie called Time After Time. Oh, with Matthew McDowell and Barry Steenburgen. Yeah, I was going to bring a, that up. Yes. That's a great yes. movie. Oh, and if you remember, that. Mary Steenburgen's character is supposed to have died, but she ended up marrying Wells in the past, and that's who he really married in you know, supposed real life. I was going to bring that up. I love that movie. Tommy that is Tommy. a great movie. It's Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that is one of my all-time favorite movies. Right, right after, right with time... Um, what the hell was the one we were talking about with Christopher Reeves? Uh, somewhere in time. Oh, somewhere, somewhere in time. time yeah. and, and time after time. I love time after time. I have that on DVD. That is one yeah, of the that's best a great movie. Movies ever. Uh, what's his, who was the guy who played Jack the Ripper? He died. It was David Warner. David, David Warner. Warner. And he's he not dead. He's still alive. Well, he, yeah, he does a lot of Star Trek. Nope, he's still <laughs> alive. He's still oh, doing um, audio for Big Finish. Gosh, yeah. wonder yeah. he died. I thought he did. He no. was a fabulous actor. He's a oh. great actor. Too bad he doesn't he, get a lot of roles. I know. He is wonderful. He was I was so disappointed when all he was was the, the guard on Titanic. It was like, really? This is what you used David Warner for in Titanic, just to be some bodyguard? Wow. He's wonderful. He, and he was wonderful as Jack Ripper. I like when he walked in to the first prostitute's house or apartment, and she says, oh, you're early. He goes, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. <laughs> and, then, and then she sits down, and he comes up, and he just slits her throat. <laughs> oh, my God. I couldn't wait. <laughs> now, my favorite scene with him is where he, he, he's about to leave the bank, and then all of a sudden he shows up right in Mary Steenburgen's face. Oh, and, and she looks up and like, yeah. yeah and, just, uh, and she was she was terrific, you know, trying to act like nothing was wrong, but he knew. Oh, God, I love that movie. Oh. Yeah. I have to watch it. See, now i got to watch it again. <laughs> now I have to watch it again. <laughs> no, it's a great movie to rewatch over and over again. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, yeah. Absolutely. I think that might be my favorite time travel movie. Yeah, that that and Somewhere in Time are absolutely my two favorites. Talk about falling in love in a, in a heartbeat. I mean, guy looks at a, at a, at a photograph. 
and all of a sudden he's in love and he's got to go back in time. Okay, that that part, that whole aspect is kind of stupid, but the movie itself was so terrific. I just love it. You know, that's the movie that makes me say, every time I go to McDonald's, I order french fries, I go, palm frites? <laughs> that's right, palm frites, palm frites. Oh, my God. It's a great movie. I, rem- it's a great movie. I remember when I first saw that movie, uh, I saw it in the theater, and I cried like a baby. And then it came on cable. And No, I don't know if it came on cable. I don't, I don't know if it did. It's probably, yeah, I think yeah, it came on cable. It went on yeah. cable. And every time I saw it, for the next ten times I saw it, I cried. I don't, I don't think I cry as much anymore because I'm so used to it. But at least ten times after I saw it, I cried and cried and cried. Especially at the, when when he's sitting up there when he thinks she's left when she thinks she's when he thinks she's left with the troop, and then all of a sudden he's sitting up there on top of the balcony and you see her walking down below, and she sees him and she's Richard, Richard, and he turns around and he runs to the steps oh! <laughs> and I start I start crying like a baby, and then the end oh my god the end oh. Oh, I'm always like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that's, I'm a, I'm a woman. With it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I love it. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, now I've got to watch both those movies again. Okay. Anyway, so, Lou, you give it a two and a half. And uh, Robert, you give it a, a what, a two or two and a half? Two. Yeah, two. two and Bobby gives it a three. Might go up to a four, and I give it a three. Awesome. And Dave's not. Dave didn't leave you anything, huh? I'll go through and um, check after the show to see if he left anything in the uh, my email, and if I if he did, I'll go ahead and, and edit it in and read it in. Yeah. Hi all. I'm sorry I can't be with you live on Talking Twilight Zone. Uh, Robert was very kind enough to say that if I would send in some audio, he'd play it out on the show. So, here goes. Well, we're talking about No Time Like the Past, Season 4, Episode uh, 112, first shown on 7th of March, 1963. Well, it's a time travel episode, isn't it? So, I'm sure most people here will probably know me well enough by now that that means uh, it gets extra points for that very fact alone. Dana Andrews, love him as a, an actor, and uh, I really liked it all the way from the beginning with the very first opening interchange between the two uh, uh, scientists. Now, it is a well-trodden path with science fiction where people try and change what's happened, stop the assassination of President Kennedy, uh, things like that. It's been done in everything from Red Dwarf to Quantum Leap to Time Tunnel, and it never fails to uh, excite me. But, of course, inevitably, it always means that the, these attempts are foiled. Uh, nature or history seems to have its way of uh, circumnavigating any changes that these people make. And, of course, that basically formed the first 22 or 3 minutes of the story. In fact, that would normally have been a whole Twilight Zone episode. But in actual fact, this was only a precursor to the main story, which was the the next two-thirds, which were dealing with his uh, idea that he could not change the past, no matter how hard he tried. Now, this was where I got a little bit uh, concerned about it, because no sooner than they had this interchange that you know he couldn't change any of these three circumstances. Oh, by the way, I was a little bit disappointed by the way that you know he set 
stepped into the uh, the Sam Beckett quantum accelerator, as it were, and um, he went to three different time, three historic events to try and stop things happening. Um, he didn't seem to have to come back to the chamber and then be sent out again. Now, probably that was to sort of compress this original story part uh, without him coming back and going and so on and so forth. But um, uh, they just had that conversation about him not being able to change things. And then he says that I'm going to uh, leave this world that I don't like under the threat of the atomic bomb and so on. And I'm going to go and live in this Willoughby type of town. And then his scientist friend says, uh, but don't forget their cause and effects. If you go back, you've got to be very careful that you don't do anything that might change things unbeknownst. And yet the whole first 20 odd minutes has told us that he hadn't been able to change anything, try as he could. So that seemed a little bit of a, a switcheroo. And then, of course, we get him going to this Willoughby-like town and... Uh, Again, uh, this was another thing that slightly put me off the story a couple of times. Uh, we see him in the quantum accelerator, as it were, dressed in modern suits. And he arrives there in uh, the right outfit for the, the time, um, with a uh, not a Gladstone bag, but some sort of old-fashioned looking bag and so on and so forth. And of course, here's where he meets his love interest, uh, played by Patricia Breston, uh, who was in Nick of Time, playing... Uh, William Shatner's wife, I think, um, in a past episode. Uh, we've got Diana Andrews here, who's about age 54, meeting this uh, teacher. I think she's about 31 or 2, the actress at the time. But, uh, of course, it's uh, unrequited love. And uh, we have a little bit of uh, angst as he realises that having tried to tell people about these things before there's no way he can explain how he knows because they would lay, label him being a bit of a loony so here we are in sort of uh, Back to the Future 2 where we're in the cowboy era and um, he can't do anything to the point where he resolves to just let events take their course until he finds out of course that children are involved and this woman that he's begun to care with so, all in all, I did like it. Reminded me of a few things, as I said before, Time Tunnel, uh, Quantum Leap, even Red Dwarf, and of, and of course the Doctor Who episode, Father's Day. But it made me uh, remember, it's actually a TV pilot I saw, but I believe it became a TV series. It's called uh, Time Stalkers. I don't know if anybody's ever men mentioned that one before I came on. Uh, William Devine. Uh, Laura Hutton uh, and that's where a professor of history uh, about the cowboy era goes back in time and becomes a bit of a gunman. Diana Andrews I think is a, a very sympathetic leading man here and uh, all in all I'm probably going to give it a rating that may be higher than other people in the room I don't know. I'm going to give it a, a definite 4 out of 5. Uh, it gets the extra 1 uh, from a 3 out of 5 story he gets the extra 1 to 4 simply because it is time travel um, uh, as uh, simple as that on that so I've talked longer than I expected to talk 4 out of 5 from me and back to the live show alright well what I was doing while we were thinking and talking about time travel shows something came to mind where you know I mentioned about the alternate time situation and mm -hmm. so real quick clip from uh, Fringe where Walter's trying to explain it to Olivia. To experience life as uh, a linear progression like this. But this is an illusion because every day 
life presents us with an array of choices. As a result, life should look more like this. And each choice leads to go to work, to stay home, and that each choice creates a new reality. Do you understand? Yes, but what does it have to do with deja vu? So it's pretty much um, the old Doc Brown explanation about the alternate 1985. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Well, it looks like our next episode is going to be two weeks from now on November 9th. Oh, my God, we're in the November already. Cold weather, cold weather, yikes. Oh, I hate it. But anyway, November 9th. And we are going to be seeing an episode with Dana Brothers and uh, Dana, yeah, Dana Brothers, Dana Andrews' brother, <laughs> Dana Andrews' brother, Steve Forrest, and it's called The Parallel. Yes, yeah, Dana. I never even knew that Dana Andrews and Steve Forrest were brothers, but I found it out when I started uh, getting into Twilight Zone and everything. You, and well, it's like the James Arness. Peter Graves thing and stuff like that. Yeah. Wait, James Ernest and Peter Graves are brothers too? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's it's surprising sometimes with, they, with the different last names. You never know. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Dana Andrews, Steve Forrest. So Steve Forrest <laughs> is in the parallel. And we'll be talking about that one in two weeks on November 9th. And uh, <clears throat> I hope Dave will be back. And, Lou, I hope you'll be here. You'll be here. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know Robert and Bobby will be here. So, and Moonstar, I sure hope you'll be back. Maybe you can call in the next time. Love to have you call in. And, and that one's also um, kind of about time travel. Well, yeah, isn't it, Robert? Sort of parallel. Well, parallel is um, basically um, parallel universe. Like, remember that? Did I send you that DVD on um, the movie about parallel universe? Yes, that I mentioned did. to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'd be a good one to watch to get ready for the, you know, next one. I'm trying to. Was it Journey on the side of the sun or something like that? Yeah. I just have to name. find it. Yeah. I just have to find it buried in all my stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. So I hope Moonstar. I hope you'll be here for that. It has one. race ends in it. Remember yes. race ends. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, he, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's actually a good one about a parallel Earth. He plays an astronaut that um, he thought he's back on his Earth, but it actually turns out to be a parallel Earth, which is the opposite, the movie I'm talking about. Yeah. And very similar to the episode we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks. All right, cool. Okay, so that itself uh, is a yeah, sort of an interesting episode. I didn't like it as much as this one, but we'll talk about that then. So, everybody, have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Looking forward to seeing you all in two weeks. And uh, adios, amigos. Bye. Bye-bye. And we'll leave with this for our next show. Next on Twilight Zone, we take a page out of a book on the space age. And we project just a couple of degrees as to what conceivably might happen to an astronaut if suddenly and inexplicably in the middle of an orbit, he disappears. Our story tells you how, why, and where. It stars Steve Forrest. It's called The Parallel. Capcom. Capcom, this is Phoebus 10.
I've lost contact with you. I've lost radar here. I've lost radar. We don't have contact here either. Capcom. Capcom, this is Phoebus 10. You just told me is fantastic. I helped build that spacecraft. I know it. Very well. It's not the same one we sent off. It's almost a twin to it, down to the very last nut and bolt, but it's simply not the same spacecraft. Colonel Gaines went up in one spacecraft, but he's obviously come back in another. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.